then Pastor Glenn on Monday night did an incredible job talking about missional living and, and uh, getting our lives outside of the walls of this church and opening the door so that other people can find their story in God. And, and it was just it was an incredible night. And then we had Tuesday night, made it real practical. Wednesday night, we finished with Spread the Fire. And that was pretty amazing. We had a, people waited in line. I don't know if you were one of them, but people waited in line over an hour to be prayed for. And I said, that's a hungry group of people. That's a hungry. And Jesus said, Jesus said, if you seek, you will find. And man, for seeking the Lord. And here we're back again today. Super Sunday. Come on, Super Bowl Sunday. All right. This is like America's favorite holiday. Um, churches all over America. It, now, our hometown, Seattle. And I'm rocking the Russell Wilson uh, shirt. I want you to know. Because the Seahawks are God's team. I don't want anyone to be confused here. <laughs> You know, it's funny, you know, last couple of years, well, last year, obviously, the Seahawks weren't a big deal. A couple of years before, I don't know, somebody. But when your hometown team, like, it's just hard to explain. You know, there's just, it's like if the Magic ever get to the NBA championship team again, this city will be, I mean, you know, right now there's like four people on the Magic bandwagon. You know, that one lawyer that's always at all the games. and But they start winning. And we'll all be, like, wearing blue and silver and white, and right? Come on, right? We'll all be rocking the Magic team. But uh, Seattle's my team, so we got a party tonight here. But, you know, there was, there was a problem. There was a problem. I, I need to help get someone converted in our church here this morning. And uh, I was on Facebook a couple weeks ago, and I saw this picture, and it was one of our uh, young children, and he was wearing the wrong uniform. I want you to take a look at this there. <laughs> Now, if you don't know who this is, this is Ethan. Um, was Ethan? <laughs> this is Ethan Wolf. This is Pastor Glenn and Natalie's uh, little boy. And uh, Natalie said, "Ethan has chosen a team for us." Well, I'm gonna try to get him saved today. <laughs> and so, uh, George and Hammy, I got a little gift. Natalie, can you come up on the stage real quick? I have something to give you. All right. And so, um, you didn't know I was gonna do this. No. Your husband kind of snuck and told you I did it first service, but, but go ahead. I want you to open that up. This is for Ethan. And he's an all-star, too. Ethan's a... <laughs> All right. This is just to make sure he's got... You can't see this, but um, this is the banky. Come on. This is the... You know who that... That's Seahawk on the front. And I actually... I got him, too, because, you know, they always lose one. All right. Now, come on. He's rocking it. <laughs> I don't know if I can convince him or not, but uh, I'm trying. I'm doing my best there this morning. Amen. <laughs> hey, man, hey, 6 o'clock, don't miss it. I know a lot of you got plans and stuff, uh, but it's a great time to get. It's honestly, for me, it's a great evangelistic tool for us because there are men and their families. Yeah, you'll check out because we have fun. Well, a lot of fun in here. It'll be a great time, but not great opportunity for to bring someone that might not necessarily go to a church. But uh, we're also going to tell the story. You're going to hear the story of Jesus. Russell Wilson's part of that video. Hey, stand with me this morning for the uh, reading of God's Word. The title of my message this, uh, this morning is, The Sermon That Changed the World. The Sermon That Changed the World. I could also subtitle it, The God of the Second Chance. I could also subtitle it, but I want to focus on the story this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts Gospel chapter 2. We're going to begin reading verse 14. We're going to go down through verse 24, then we're going to skip over to verse 36 through 41. Large portion of Scripture, but I want you to get this this morning. I want you to hear what's happening. Last week, we uh, actually last week Michael Dow spoke, but the week before, Pastor Glenn spoke on Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. 
talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that what happened at the birthing of the church, how God poured out His Spirit, and there were supernatural encounters and experiences where people began to speak in other languages. And our text this morning is going to explain that event and what took place. But let's begin in verse number 14. The Bible says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, he raised his voice and addressed the crowd. You've got to just hear the emotion in this. Don't you just read the Bible like it's a boring book. This book is the story of people's lives. And Peter raised his voice. Oh, why did he raise his voice? Well, we're going to find out. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Everyone say listen. Listen carefully. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, look, he has an experience, an emotional experience, but now he takes him back to the Bible. He takes him back to the Scripture, back to the Scriptures. In Joel chapter 2, in verse number, seven, verse number 17, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious. Everyone say glorious. Glorious. The glorious day of the Lord's return. And everyone who calls, everyone, everyone say everyone. everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep It's hold on him. Then he quotes the scripture again, but I want you to jump down to verse number 36. Therefore, everyone say, therefore. Therefore. This is the response. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent. Everyone say, repent. And be baptized, everyone, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. For all, everyone say all, all. whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them. He pleaded with them. He's a great preacher. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Here's my one big idea. You got to hear this this morning. God gives us a story in order to gain permission to tell others his story so that others may discover their story. God gives you a story in order to gain permission to tell his, Jesus' story so that others may discover their story. You're going to see this theme all through the Bible. This morning, I want us to pray. We're praying for our reach. See a lot of the staff and the reach posters up. I want to just give you kind of a quick update. We are still believing and praying, and Keith's going to give it a report on the money at the end. It's amazing what God is doing on the financial provision side of this. But uh, if you know a piece of property in this area, and I mean a large piece of property, 15 acres, more, 
But we're looking for a large piece of property for our next home. It's, we're just saying, God, whatever you want us to go, we're willing to go. And so I'd encourage you to pray with me. If you know someone, after the service, you come up and talk to me or talk to one of our leaders. We're, we're searching down. We're, we're chasing donkeys like the Old Testament said. We're looking under every rock and moving every stone because we believe that God has a next step for us and he's going to lead us. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you this morning. Thank you that this is Reach Sunday. <laughs> thank you that you reached me with your grace. I'm so thankful, Lord, for this sermon that Peter preached that changed the world. It's changed my life today. For every person that's in this room, give them an ear to hear. We say thank you for what you did last week, but Lord, last week's manna isn't good enough. We need to hear the word of the Lord today. Bless your people today. Give them spiritual ears to hear and give me a mouth to speak. I ask this, Jesus, in your wonderful name. Amen. You may be seated. I mean, this story is just so amazing on so many levels, on so many fronts. And it's just amazing to me. It's a story of this group of guys, I mean, who had abandoned Jesus, their best friend, in like his most crucial hour. I mean, this story is the story of grace in such an amazing way because we have this person, Peter, really rise up. A person who just 50 days before this, this is the Feast of Pentecost. It was one of the third most sacred holy days on the Jewish calendar. Even to this very day, it's called the Feast of Booths. If you go to New York City or you go to a Hasidic community anywhere in the world, you go to Jerusalem, you'll see during the time of Pentecost, 50 days after the the, uh, Passover, you'll see that they'll build these little structures next to their next to their uh, temples, uh, next to their homes. And it's the Feast of Booze. It's the Feast of Celebration. It's the Feast of Ingathering, thanking God for all that he's done. And, and this is the period, and there are millions, I don't know, maybe two million Jews that have come back to Jerusalem. And, and the disciples have had to have Jesus show himself to them to believe. I mean, he had to physically. And then he says, I want you to go to Jerusalem. And I want you to wait for power. God is about ready to do something in their life that they'd never experienced. They, had no, they knew the terminology because they had the prophecies of Joel and the Old Testament scriptures. But, but they didn't really know what it meant. They didn't know what it looked like. I mean, this is the very first time that God has showed up just not, not on a few people, but on all the people in the room. This is the first time that God didn't just come upon people and live with people. He now lived inside of people. He lived inside of them. And the world is going to be forever changed. The world as you and I know it. And so the people that are there, man, they're hearing these people babbling another language. But the weird thing is this babble was understandable in their ears. They were hearing it in their own native tongue. And although they were Jewish people, they had come from a large region, hundreds and hundreds of miles by foot. They had come to be part of uh, this feast. And for whatever region, they were hearing the tongue in that native language, and they were amazed. And they asked the question, what does this mean? (laughs) Isn't that a fair question to ask? Come on. What does this really mean? What is this all about? I mean, these people speaking in tongues, and they're like, what's going on? And as a matter of fact, the Bible says they were utterly amazed. They were utterly amazed. And Peter stands up, and he begins to give a message. Now, the grace part of this message is that God chose to use Peter. To me, that's the grace part. Here's a guy. I mean, come on, man. He's in the garden. He's cutting a guy's ear off, and Jesus has got to I mean, glue it. I mean, super glue, Holy Ghost, glue it back on. And then, and then you know, he, he has a little servant girl challenge him, and he denies that he ever even knew Jesus, and he brings curses down on himself, and... I mean, he's just a mess. 
But that's the grace of God. <laughs> because God takes our messes and he turns them into messages of grace. And Peter is no different. And as we look at the story this morning, I, I'm so reminded by God how he works in our life. The fact is that a God seldom calls the qualified, but he always qualifies the call. <laughs> God seldom calls the qualified, but God always qualifies the call. Peter expressed the same sense of inadequacy. And if you serve Jesus for any period of time, you know that there are times in your life where you feel so inadequate. Why is God using me? Why? I mean, God, I mean, how can you use me? I just, I've messed up so bad. Paul says, no, listen, guys, I asked God three times to take whatever it was away from me. And each time he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power works best in weakness. And honestly, God works best when we acknowledge that we're weak. We, God works best, and we're going to see that in Peter's message here. First of all, Peter tells, he tells their story. He tells what happens to, to them and the other brothers and sisters that are in the room. In verses 14, I want you to see this, 14 and 15, but it says, Then they, Peter stood up with the eleven, and he raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd passionately. He was on fire. He was on fire. He had a radical encounter with the presence of Jesus. The Holy Spirit filled him. He just had to say something. <laughs> Go on, he had to tell somebody. Come on, and God touches you. God works a miracle in your life. You've got to tell someone. I mean, when I got saved, my parents, man, they were telling him. My mom told him. She'd been praying for years. She told all of her friends, Junior got saved. Junior got saved. Junior got saved. <laughs> you got to tell someone. We live such a benign Boring Christian life so many times. But when miracles start happening, when miracles, when the Holy Spirit starts moving, it, there's a, something that rises up. You've got to tell somebody. And Peter began to tell them. He began to talk to them about what God had done. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain what has just happened. Peter addresses the problem. Peter addresses the problem. They were being accused of being drunk. You bunch of drunk fools down there. You bunch of holy rollers. You, I'm about that tongue talking stuff. <laughs> what are you guys? You guys are crazy. Be like, no, 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 we're not drunk. I mean, we're devout Jewish, Jewish followers of God. We don't get drunk at nine. We might get drunk later, no, but we don't get drunk at nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> that, that's not how it works. You think about people coming into our churches. They walk into a church like this for the first time, and they look like a raccoon staring at the headlights of an 18-wheeler baron. What in the world? Oh, the people, they got their hands raised. Now they just lay their hands on me for prayer because I said I needed prayer. And they're like, what is going on? What's happening? I mean, you've ever been in an environment where you felt uncomfortable. Maybe, you know, you, you went to an office complex and, and you were trying to find directions and you just kind of lost. And everybody in the office complex knows exactly where the bathroom is. It's down the third hall to the left and taken to the right and there's over in the corner. But you're a brand new person and you're like trying to find and everybody knows you're lost. Right? You're confused. They were confused. What's going on? And Peter then declares the Bible. See, here's the deal. This wasn't just personal experience. He had a foundation for this. And I want you to know today, if you're going to build a great life in God, it can't just go from experience to experience to experience. You have to have a foundation of truth. Jesus said the truth will set you free. The truth, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word 
will abide forever. David understood the power of God's word when he said, I've got to get it into my heart so that I won't sin against God. We're not just built on experience, although experience is powerful. Experience confirms the work of God, but we have truth. And he listened to what he says here in verses 16 and 17. He says, now this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. This was spoken 600 years before this experience ever happened. From the time the word was spoken till the time that it was the fulfillment of the promise was 600 years. I call that a long divine delay. And maybe you've had some divine delays in your life. Sometimes that you prayed and prayed and prayed and nothing seemed to happen. Right, Michael? You prayed and prayed and prayed and you knocked and you knocked and knocked. And then, bam, God opens the door. See, what do you do in that time? Well, lots of history takes place. But 600 years later, and he says, oh, God says, in the last days, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit and all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, and everyone, all the old men said, amen. Come on, old men. Uh, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit, and they will... Everyone, not just a few chosen frozen, not just the 11 that Jesus called, not just some priests all dressed up in some kind of garb with an herb and a thumb and some kind of incense that he takes into the temple. No, no, no. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I will pour out my spirit on your sons, on your daughters, on your weak, on your broken, on those who don't know you. And I'm not just going to do it for the Jews, but I'm going to do it for the red man, the black man, the white man, the yellow man, the green man, the purple man, all people, I'm going to pour my spirit out. Everyone said amen. Oh, he addresses the problem. He quotes the scripture. I'd like to develop this last day theme, but I can't do it. But I'd just like to develop this a little more. I just, I want you to know that from this time to this time has been 2,000 years. We're in the last days. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 24. And the gospel of the kingdom will. Everyone say will. Can you put the scripture verse up there? The gospel of the kingdom will be preached. It will be. It will be declared. To the whole world. The whole world is going to hear as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Just real quick. Uh, I'm on Facebook or I'm on Instagram. I have all these linked together. And in one second. One second, I can send a message out all the way around the world. One quick second, I can declare the gospel. A couple of years ago, a lady came up to me after the service, and she said, Pastor, her mother was from Switzerland, and her mother lived in Switzerland, and she said, my mother is watching the service this morning in Switzerland live. All the world can hear the gospel in one instant. It's never been possible. All the things in the Middle East. And isn't it interesting that Jerusalem and the the nation of Israel is right in the epicenter of all the geopolitical stuff that's taking place in the whole world. Very fascinating. We're in the last days. God's pouring out His Spirit. God's moving. What does this mean for you, you and I today? What does it mean for you and I today? We have a story. And God wants us to tell somebody. God wants us to tell somebody what He has done in our life. God, hey, listen, it doesn't, and you, you know, the chances of you standing up at a microphone and preaching to, you know, thousands of people for most of us, it's probably not a reality. But God has someone in your sphere of influence. God has someone in your school, your job, your work, your family that you can tell the story. This is what God did for me. This is how God filled me. This is how God healed me. This is how God saved me. This is what God delivered me from. Someone said amen this morning. See, we are people of spirit. We are people of truth. Peter's story was so powerful. 
because it wasn't just inspired by the Spirit. You preach the truth. The old-timers used to say, if you get all Spirit, you blow up. If you get all Word, you dry up. But if you get the Spirit and the Word together, you grow up. And so we got, we're people of Spirit. We're people of truth. The next thing I want you to see, verse, and we're going to jump down to verse 22. And I want you to see that he tells Jesus a story, because this is what it's all about today. He tells Jesus a story. So he's proclaiming what's just happened. He's got a biblical foundation for it. Now he said, okay, let me tell you what this is all about. This is all about Jesus. Everyone say, it's about Jesus. It's not about a preacher boy. It's not about a denomination. It's not about a sound. It's not about a doctrine. It's not about an emotion. It's not about a feeling. It's all about the person of Jesus. My whole goal, my whole goal in my lifetime is to make the name of Jesus famous. Not just with my words, but in my deeds, in my money, in my time, with the t- gifts and the talents that God has given. My whole goal in life is to tell the story of Jesus. The wonderful story of Jesus. And His amazing love for me. Oh, it's my goal. Make Jesus famous. John the Baptist said it like this. He must increase. I must decrease. I love Russell Wilson. I'm sporting his shirt today because he is just, he's a godly man. If you don't know this, Russell attends our sister church in Seattle, the city church of Seattle. And, and every time he goes to church, and he goes every time, every time he's not in town playing. I mean, every time he's out in the road playing, but if he's in town, he brings a whole row of professional football players with him to church. And you go on and you can get on and you can follow him on Twitter or Instagram or and he's always quoting scripture and talking about what Jesus and the other day he posted, a friend of mine sent it to me, he posted on Twitter, he said, I must decrease so that he can increase. I mean, here's the goal, folks. When you're a follower of Jesus, it's never about us. It always becomes about Jesus. And Peter says it like this Fellow Jews, fellow Jews, listen to this. This Jesus of Nazareth was accredited to you by God in signs and wonders and miracles, which God did among you through him as you, as you yourself know. He was accredited by God. He, he, he was declared. He was, show, he was proved by the kind of person that he was to be God, the Messiah, the answer to the Jewish problem. The answer to the Jewish problem, they were in anticipation of a Messiah, one who would deliver them from the tyranny of Rome, from the bondage and the oppression of living under the the rule of another authority. Peter says, this is the man, this Jesus. He addresses the problem. Who was Jesus to them? He was their Messiah. But he also addresses another problem. He holds them accountable for their sin. I want you to look at verse number 23. The Bible says that Peter said, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. You. You sinned. You sinned. You sinned. I sinned. Now, this whole thing, the foreknowledge of God and this whole issue of God's sovereignty and providence, and this is a big, deep question that we're not going to delve into because it's deep and wide and although I know at the end of the day it's like the chicken and the egg which came first I I don't completely understand it but what I do know is that God is completely sovereign in your life and he's completely sovereign in my life as he was in Jesus God had a plan for Jesus and God knew that in his plan he'd actually told it through the prophets and through the Psalms of old and we'll see that in just a moment but God had a plan for Jesus and his plan is that he would die 
that Jesus would die, the Messiah would die, but that he would rise again. And the fact is today, the fact is, these people were complicit. They were guilty. You and I stand before a holy God and we are guilty. We are guilty. We are under the law, the bondage of sin and death. And we need a Savior. What I know today is that I'm a really good sinner, but I serve a really great Savior. (laughs) Come on, I know today who I am without Jesus. Come on, give my hand clap this morning. Oh, I'm a, I'm a good sinner. Oh, I could sin with the best of them. <laughs> but then I've surrendered my life to a great Savior. And Peter stands and he holds them accountable. God's plan. Listen, I don't know how all this works, but this terrible act of humans lying, deceiving, cursing, and killing God's Son was known far in advance of it ever happening. But I know today, I know today, I know today that God held them accountable. Peter clearly is holding his religious leaders accountable for their actions. Every terrible tragedy, God has a tremendous triumph for those who believe. Every, come on, these guys were shaken to the core. They were so shaken by Jesus' crucifixion that they scattered. They couldn't believe it. They were shaken. Every potential terrible tragedy in your life. That's a tremendous triumph. See, they had a solution. Their solution is found in verse number 24. The Bible says, but God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. You know what their solution was? The resurrection. You know what your, you know what their solution was? You know what your solution is? The resurrection. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no hope. He wasn't just a ghost that manifested himself. No, he was alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. He is alive. He is risen indeed. Just as he said, he proved himself. He showed himself to them. He's proved himself to you. He's proved himself to me. He's alive. He's real. He lives and dwells in the heart of those believes. Someone said amen. I was talking to my wife yesterday for a few moments, just kind of reflecting on this text about terrible things that happen in our life. And, and my wife, you can see her testimony on our website. She tells her story. She tells her story. and She had some really horrific things happen to her as a young child. She had a father that was extremely abusive, perverted way. She had a stepfather that was extremely physically abusive. I said, I mean, how do you think God used it in your life? I want to quote what she told me on the phone. She said, if God allows it, it's for a purpose. And he will work it for your good if you put your trust in him with all your heart and you seek to live according to his purpose. Wow. God will turn it. God has a triumph for your tragedy. God has a message for your mess. God has it today. Joseph said, but you meant it for evil, brothers. You sold me into slavery. I was thrown into prison. You meant all these things as evil against me. But God meant it for good in order that this day many could be saved. Many could be saved. I don't know what, you, what your tri- or tragedy is. I don't know what your problem is today. Maybe it's a divorce, a death of a loved one, a disease, uh, any number of disasters that happen to us in the journey of life. But I want you to know that God has one word for you. Resurrection. Made new. Fresh starts. Second chances. Third chances. The story continues. He stands up and he keeps preaching the word. He keeps preaching the word. In verse 25 through 28, he quotes, he quotes 
the Bible again. He quotes David in Psalm 16. He says, David said to him, I saw the Lord. He's always before me because he is at my right hand. My heart, therefore, is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the grave. He knew the scriptures. He preached the scriptures. He proclaimed the scriptures. I, I, I wrote this yesterday. In order to know the Bible, you have to read it. In order for you to experience the power of the Bible, you have to live it. And in order for you to live the Bible, you have to believe it. Peter gives the message, the heart of the gospel. You've got to hear this this morning. Here's the heart of the gospel. He just lays it out. Jesus' supernatural life. He tells them about the miracles. Many of them saw them, but at least they heard about the resurrections from the dead of people that he had raised to life. They heard about the blinded eyes that were open. They heard about the men who was possessed by legions of demons. They, they heard the stories of the multitudes of people that were fed because, uh, just because of a couple of fish and a few loaves. They, they heard these stories. They, they, he told the story of his death on the cross. The outline is so clear. The outline is so clear for all of us. We, we talk about the life of Jesus. We talk about his death on the cross and what that means to us. We, we, we talk about his supernatural resurrection. He came to life again. And there he is today, the Bible says, seated at the right hand of the Father. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And the book of Hebrews tells us that there he's making intercession. Or there he's praying for you and I. Then the last thing I want you to see is the people's story. Verses 37 through through 41. Look at verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, What shall we do? That's how you know someone's experiencing conviction. God, what do you want me to do? God, what, what do I need to change? God's not like this Santa up in the sky that, you know, or a, a magic genie in a bottle. If we rub them just right three... You know, a couple of times we get three wishes. That's not God. No, 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 no. You know, don't do anything naughty. Be nice. And, you know, he'll answer all your little requests at Christmas. That's not God. That's not how God works. What should we do? The conviction of God. The conviction of God was pushing them away from evil and drawing them to a Savior. What do we need to do to get right? What do, we need to get, what do we need to do to get our lives right with God? There's a big difference between conviction and condemnation. I want you to hear this today. If you're being drawn closer to God, you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But if you feel like hiding from God and begin to doubt His love for you, you're feeling condemnation from the devil. Got to hear this today. You got to hear this. Conviction causes us to want to turn away from sin, recognizing that we've done wrong, and run to Jesus. Jesus, I need you. I surrender. We sing, I surrender. I need you. I need you more, Lord. I need you. Lord, what do you want me to do? God, I'm open. I want to follow you. I want to surrender everything to you today. That's conviction. And conviction brings grace, conviction brings hope. Conviction delivers you from condemnation, from shame. Come on, Peter could have been living in shame and condemnation. He messed up big, but now he's boldly proclaiming the message and people are responding. What do I need to do? What do I need to do to get my life right with God? Oh, I'll see people come to the altar. I'll I'll see people crying and I'm like, God, I know you're at work in their life, but when you leave that moment of experience, what are you going to do with it? 
how are you going to change? What's happening inside of their life is that they, they need a solution. They need a solution to this problem. Their problem is that they recognize that they're sinners in need of a Savior. They're convicted to the heart. Years ago, I was, I, I thought of this. I was about 19 years of age, and I was in Mexico in a border town with a buddy of mine, and we'd been up all night and found ourselves in a really precarious situation. And it was not good, and there were some guys, they were not up to no good, and, and some would just begin to come up, and I was in a town that I, I'd been there, but I'd never driven in the streets before. I was in a foreign country, and I'm just driving up down the streets, and, and I, I, these guys try to stop us. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, and, and, they, and they were asking for money and whatever else we had, and I'm like, no, 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 no. And I remember I, I pushed, I just punched the pedal on my gas, and took off and I made a quick right hand turn and the next thing I know I was going down a one way street in the wrong direction and I started panicking I got these guys following behind me I mean they're like right on my tail I'm in a 74 Vega that goes 47 miles an hour at top speed they're breathing down my throat I'm frantic and that's listen when God speaks to you oh what do I need to do, God? What do you want? Come on. If you keep doing the same things you've always done and you miss the moment to surrender and turn to God, you're going to keep getting the same results. And you know what they call that? And celebrate recovery. It's called insanity. God wants the best for you. Come on. God wants to bless you today. God loves you. He wants to give you good today. In Acts chapter 3, Peter continues his preaching. He's preaching. He's preaching. And he says, And this Jesus... This Jesus, He's come to bless you by turning you away from your sins. And so He gives them two things to do. First thing you got to do is you got to repent. Repent just means turning away. Come on, turning away and turning to God. And He says you got to be baptized. Uh, what does that mean? It just means that if you've never been water baptized, that's your next step. He gave them a next step. Well, maybe you've repented and. And maybe you're here today and you've been baptized, but man, there's some stuff that you've been holding on to. God's got a next step for you. You got to know today, God wants to bless you. God wants to fill you. God wants to heal you. We got to turn to Him. I want you to close your eyes this morning. And here's the cool thing. This is so cool. Peter preaches this message, the message of second chance. Guess what? He says, this promise is to you. This promise is for you, for your children, for all those who are far off. 2,000 years later, you're sitting in a blue padded chair because this message was for them and for the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And it's for you. And then it's for the next generation and the next generation. I want you to close your eyes this morning. You're here this morning. And I'm not talking. Uh, first of all, I want to just say, you've never sur- completely surrendered your life. I'm mean, intellectual. Yeah, you know God's real. Or maybe you haven't even believed. Maybe you're in this room. You've had questions about if God's really real or not. I don't know. But you know you never surrendered your life completely to God to live for him. When I count to three this morning, I count to three this morning, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Come on, anyone in this room right now? Don't miss this moment. God's here. See that hand? Amen. Come on. That's good. Anyone else? Amen. You can put your hand down. Anyone in this room this morning? 
want to ask a really simple question. You've never been baptized in water. You've never taken that step. This morning, if you're in the room, we're not embarrassed. We're not going to baptize you today. But just raise your hand right now. Is anybody in the room? Come on, anybody here today? I see that hand. Back here, back here, okay? Well, that's your next step. If you've given your life to Jesus, that's your next step today. Would you put your hand in? You're here this morning, and you know God's speaking to you about leaving some stuff behind so you can get nearer to him. If that's you this morning, I just want you to raise your hand right where you're at. Come on, anyone in this room? Come on right now, amen. I want you to stand with me this morning. Everyone stand this morning. Keith is going to come up in just a moment after we pray. We have what we call a connection card here, and on the back it it says, uh, I've decided to follow Christ today. I'm interested in being water baptized. February 15th is our next baptism. We've got a few of the questions. But if you could take that, God really spoke to your heart today, and you want to take your next step in Him, we're going to pray right now. And when you say this prayer, I believe that you're on your journey. You need to get water, you need to get water baptized. I want you to put that, just check that box off this morning. But I want everyone to close your eyes. I want you to pray with me this morning. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you today that you've given me another chance. I've been challenged today. Thank you for speaking to me. And Lord, I surrender my life to you. I believe that you did rise from the dead. I believe that you want to bless me. And so today I turn from sin. I turn from my rebellion. And I turn my life over to you. Help me to serve you today the best I know how. And to follow your voice all the days of my life. In Jesus' wonderful name. Can you give God a great big hand clap this morning? Hallelujah.